header. Here is Mandrew. Sakon in position. Oh, what a goal! What a goal from Danny Mandrew! The shot comes in! Oh, what a screamer! But this is the real heart of soccer, quite frankly. Oh, my God, what a finish. Well, Jordan Flores met that on the meet. Hello there and welcome again to LOI Arena, week four for us. Thanks for tuning in again this week. It's Con Murphy and Conan Byrne with you as ever. LOI Arena is brought to you by the team at Pundit Arena. Pundit Arena, like us, passionate about Irish football. They do continue to grow their offering covering all things Irish football. So PunditArena.com is the website. On Twitter, you can follow at LOI underscore arena. Uh, you can also email us if you want to get in touch with us, LOI at PunditArena.com. Uh, I'm Con Murphy Sport on Twitter, and my co-host is Conan Byrne, CB7 on Twitter. Now, shortly, we're going to be chatting with Shamrock Rovers defender and former Irish international Joey O'Brien. But before that, Conan, we've so much stuff to talk about um, this week. So much has happened um, on and off the field. And I suppose some of the off the field activities are, are the ones that have really been hitting the headlines. The situation at Dundalk um, before their Pats game with the departure of Shane Keegan and the imminent departure, it looks like, of uh, Filippo Giovanioli. We're recording this on Sunday morning. Also situation at Waterford ahead of their game uh, when they lost 1-0 to Bowes. Um, will we start with Dundalk? Because that's really been hitting the headlines. First of all, Dundalk, I suppose, showed a bit of character to get that late equaliser through junior after Sam Bone had put Pats ahead. But really, <clears throat> even the um, guys who were there covering the match um, for the various papers and stuff, more of them were getting mileage out of what was going on off the pitch. It's just the road is very bumpy for them at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, Conan, it's been bumpy for the last number of months. Um, ever since the decision to bring Filippo in, a lot of people have been um, talking about Dundalk a lot. Um, in regards of the manager, managerial situation at the club, um, obviously with their run in Europe and their FAI Cup sex, success, which is which people I hope won't forget, because at the same time Filippo Giovagnoli did come in and steady the ship when it was really, really in a poor position. Now, albeit they did get a an, a lovely run in the European uh, qualifying stages, um, to get into the group stages, but then they went on went and, and bet Shamrock Rovers in the um in the FAI Cup decider in, in November and or in December. And it was a it was a magnificent uh, magnificent feat. And if you're looking in the history books in 10, 15, 20 years time, you'll take that year out as a as a positive considering what they've achieved. But it was paper over the cracks, I felt. Um any new manager would would have that kind of sort of should have that sort of impact on a team. Um it's renowned for it really. Um, but he did have a serious, a serious effect on it, and um, I just think now clubs need to start um, employing people with a pro license straight away from the offset. Um, otherwise, we're we're going to be in serious, they're going to be in serious bother again. And look, Shane although Keegan, when you look at Pat's the situation at St Pat's, just to cut across you for a sec, Conan, I mean things seem to be working out swimmingly for them in their situation. Yeah, but he's 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 on that pro license, you know, yeah, and so yeah, is yeah. so is the likes of Ian Morris at Shells and and Tim Clancy at Rada. That's fair enough if they're on it. Well, then that's yeah. fair enough. But and if COVID, I know, has delayed things a bit. With some absolutely, courses, yeah. like, but if you're only yeah. having a license, and you're not, and you're not even on a course for a pro license. I think there that that's 
you, you can't be you can't be brought in for to a, to manage manage a football club if you're not on the pro license. That's again, that's just my opinion. If you're on the course, well, look, you're going to be there in a couple, in, in a little while anyway. Um, yeah. So look, I, I had to laugh at yesterday's events. Being being totally honest, and I don't think all you can do is you can either laugh or cry. Um, Filippo Giovignoli told his players that it was his last game in charge. Obviously, before the game, um. LMFM then reported that um, he's probably there's going to be a statement made over in the next couple of days. Um, I'm hearing that that's probably going to be today. So yeah, I mean, it has to be today, Conan, because they can't. I mean, the the Jim McJilton interview after the match, I, I saw it on the the news last night. It was just ridiculous. You know, we'll 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 get back to you shortly when everybody knows what's going on. You know, just come out and and be straight. Yeah, but he you know, uh, and I th- it was the same situation with Warford. I thought their communication was terrible. But Dundalk, I mean, if it is his last game, I mean, is there a possibility that it wasn't? It, it would seem not. So why not just come out and say? Yeah, well, he went up to Derry on um, on Friday night to watch. Yeah, Filippo went up to Derry on Friday night to watch Derry and draw it. And then, but he, but even with Jim Jim Agilton yesterday, he initially refused to do interviews with Des Curran and watch LOI after the game. And um, I'm sure Gavin McLaughlin, then the media officer at Dundalk, was saying, "Look, you have a bit of, bit of a, yeah, you have a duty here to go out here." And just before he walked out, and he didn't even say anything to to any of the journey. He didn't accept any questions at the start. He walked out and just said, "Don't talk to me about what's going on off the pitch. I'm only here to talk about the game." And that's like even that, just to say, I don't know, does it show a bit of disrespect towards? The, the league, the the club, the media themselves, the fans, so the fans. most important yeah. Yeah, the yeah, fans, right. the yeah. people who can't go to the games at the moment, the, the Dundalk fans who've been brilliant over the last few years, who paid their hard-earned money to go into the matches and support the team, uh, they they need to know what's going on, and the club needs to be straight with them. We saw there was a little demonstration, and he described it as you know twenty teenagers behind the goal, but that's still representative of the fans. They want to know what's happening. They want to know where are we going. You know, we've had this great success. The wheels have come off a bit later. What's happening? And this kind of, ah, we'll issue a statement in a couple of days' time. That's not good enough. No, I completely agree. Um, and I don't know, like, but there's talk of Jerry Little coming in. Um, he's in charge of the uh, under-17 and under-19 Northern Irish team, works for the IFA, worked under Jim McGilton when he was head of youth academy at, at the IFA. Very, very good friends mm. on and off the pitch. Both we share the same agent as well. Um, and... Jim was probably just well respected to... in the game. I ah, he is. Sure. He is. He is very well respected in the game. Good guy, and um, but Jim was probably wanting to surround people that he or be surrounded by people that he can trust. Um, yeah. But I don't know about Jerry because he only just started that job with the with the seventeens and nineteens with the IFA. You know. Um, Could you do both? I don't think so. I think that's uh, like that's that's a, that's a full time job. I don't know if the IFA would accept it. They shouldn't accept it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens now. Obviously. It has its kind of very good. It has its downsides. I'm recording so early on a Sunday morning when there's a statement released on Sunday afternoon, but it's yeah. it's nice to be able to have a chat about um, what's going on because it's absolutely in, incredible, incredible. And Shane Keegan, uh, another uh, who who lost out in all of this, and another good football man who, uh, I mean, felt the need to walk away. Yeah, I'm sure he had to leave his role and, and keep keep some sort of credit credibility to him for himself because at the end of the day it's a it's a circus and then they're starting to become a laughing stock of the league. Imagine that, Con. You wouldn't even dream of saying that a couple of a couple of years ago about Dundalk. I I thought they would dominate. I really did, 
And then, first of all, Stephen Kenny left to go to the under-21s, of course. The club couldn't do anything about that. And the uh, Vinnie Perth came in. Wasn't doing too bad. Um, obviously lost that game mm-hmm. against Selje in in the Champions League and, and uh, grew, uh, qualifying stages, and that was that was the nail in his coffin. And then, yeah, then they brought in um, Filippo, who, like as I said, he did a good job, but he was the wrong man for the job, you know, because he hadn't a pro license, and it was, this was always going to happen. It was always going to happen. And and I mean, the, as you said earlier on, the cup win in a way kind of papered over the cracks a little bit in that their league form was starting to. Go. I mean, the fact that they finished so far behind Shamrock Rovers last season was was worrying. Yeah. Well, he's only won five games in, since he's become since he's come in as manager, mm. and he's been in a long time. Um. So yeah, it's like they should have won yesterday. At the end of the day, they should have won. Paddy Barrett was absolutely unbelievable in the last couple of minutes, saving those two goal line clearances. Con. Mm. Um. But yeah, it's just paper over the cracks at Dundalk and if they do let Filippo go or Filippo does decide to walk away I heard he possibly was him and Han over it after the game yesterday because of the way his team performed um, but if he does walk away um, the next decision that Dundalk make will be absolutely crucial to them going forward yeah, yeah, two points in the table at the moment, five games in is not great. Um, speaking of poor communication, I just mentioned briefly the situation at Waterford with the uh, absence of Brian Murphy and Oscar Brennan. And there was no official word from the club uh, on the night in the game against Bowes. And afterwards, again, in the interview, um, it was all a bit smoke and mirrors and a bit vague. And then the club issued a statement uh, the next day saying it, it reminded me actually of Jack Charlton calling Morris Setters and Roy Keane in uh, to the press during uh, one of the World Cups and, and saying, did you have a row on the training pitch yesterday? Roy, did you have a row? Uh, you know, if, if there was something that went on, just come out and say it. And this kind of, like, I still don't quite know. What, I know Brian Murphy has issued a statement subsequently yeah. saying, I was just left out of the team. I was disappointed. Uh, but that's it. Oscar has said that um, he took a knock. Um but again, it's it's just poor communication. If if something has happened, tell us. Yeah, but even I'd like to think, think keep things in house. Con, being totally honest, as um. So if there's a row on the training pitch, you think, and and two players are left out of a match day squad, you think it's best for the club not to say for disciplinary reasons we're leaving player A and player B player B out. It's a tough one. Um, as a player at Waterford, yes, absolutely, I would. As a fan of Waterford, if I, if I was a fan of Waterford, I'd want to know what was going on. So I'd be stuck between a rock and a hard place by, by that. As a player, I don't want, um, if there's a dressing room bust up, it gets cleared up within a matter of days. It's not going to drag on a week, two weeks, three weeks. If that happens, it's very, very rare that that happens. A couple of days later, you shake hands and move on. That's mm-hmm. th- that's the nature of football. And yeah, I think that yeah. happens everywhere. Um, Oscar did have a clash of heads in training and had to miss the game. Um, Brian wasn't picked, obviously, because there was a little falling out with, with the management team. And why not just say in a match preview where all the journal with, with all the journalists read, say Oscar picked up a head injury in training and is unable to play. Brian, whatever, say say Brian isn't available for the match. Something even like that. At least people will they, know. They could even they could say tweak to hang, hamstring or something. I mean, I know it's not true, but at least it, it, it suddenly the focus isn't on where are they. Because I thought it was extraordinary on, on the night. Um, the, the, all the questions were, you know, where's Oscar? Where's Brian? Yeah. Um, Oscar's captain. And it, it, yeah. You know, yeah. Oscar, where's uh, captain of your club on, on a match day night? Like, of course the question's going to be asked. 
Or even if the manager comes out and says, look, I just want to give Paul Martin a try between the sticks. He's been playing really well in training. He's a, a player that we think has a you know, great future. and We want to see how he gets on. You know, yeah. fair enough. Like, um, like with, I, I did take out a line from Brian Murphy's statement, though. Like I, He said, I did discuss some things with the management leading up to Friday's game, which will remain private. Anything outside of that is untrue. Now, obviously, if you're reading between the lines there, Brian, who is 38 next month, wasn't happy about certain aspects of the club. And he voiced his, voiced his concerns, who obviously took it to, to heart. And as a senior player, management have to listen to these concerns. They have to listen to their senior players. They're the lads in the dressing rooms. They're the lads that listen to other players talking. They're the lads that are involved every day in, in training and hearing what's going on um, from a player's point of view. So the management team have to listen. I remember coming back in, I know we're kind of going off a little bit here, but I remember back when I was with supporting Fingal and Ollie Cahill and Colin Hawkins had just arrived um, into the squad and we went over to Maritimo over in Portugal. And look on, it was my first taste of European experience and it was a week of fun. It was unbelievable. Um, we were like, we got there, we dropped our bags and we went down and we were, we were out on the beach and, and, and sunbathing about two days before a European game. And, um, Anyway, we did well, came home, got beaten by Drada, and there was a little chat in the in the dressing room after the game. And Ollie goes, This is this is a recipe for disaster. What's going on here? You can't expect us to be doing what we're doing as football players and going out and performing in terms of going out sunbathing a couple of days before a game, going out having a laugh, going drinking after the game, um, before before a, a, a league game three days later on the Sunday. Yeah. yeah. So of course. Liam didn't. Liam was like, "That's fair enough. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. But as players, that you should be you should be responsible yourself. I shouldn't have to be your father figure when you're when you're here. You have you're a you're a this is Liam Buckley who was, Liam Buckley, who was in yeah. charge of yeah. You're a professional football player. You have to to look after yourselves. I'm not your your dad. You whatever. But it was mm. that communication that that was needed. And then going forward, then it was just accepted. Then that hold on there a second. That's not going to happen again. And it, it didn't happen again. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I just like Brian has been second and, ter- and, and third choice kind of at, at a number of clubs yeah. across the water, and has very little, if any, had any bust ups with any, any managers about about not playing. Yet he's playing every week. He's from Waterford. Yeah. He cares about the club. So obviously he's just voicing his concerns. And I just think it's that I think the management team have, have handled this extremely badly, uh, along with the badly, yeah. along with the club. I wonder, uh, you know, Kevin Sheedy. It's his first senior job um he has obviously worked with the, a lot of underage teams and stuff and i suppose working with underage players is much different in that exactly as you say you're not getting somebody at 38 years of age with a lifetime of experience in the game coming up and giving an opinion or giving a um a thought about something um and maybe kevin's lack of experience in dealing with senior players like that is um just showing in that instance certainly it wasn't uh, it wasn't good for water Bose obviously got the three points with rob cornwall's goal um from the free kick an excellent free kick as well it was um Derry picked up their first point ronan boyce an equalizer after james brown had scored for drada so at least they're on the on the table with the point now Derry after that one um beaten in midweek by shamrock rovers um uh Graham Burke with probably the greatest ever goal from a halfway line that we've oh, ever seen. Don't uh, no, please, <laughs> you can't start this now. <laughs> um, oh look, it was a wonder strike, wasn't it? And um, like it was so audacious, like to even try it. Like I remember when, obviously, when I did mine, 
it was just a case of I, I did it a couple of weeks weeks before that up in Dundalk against Gary Rogers, and I don't know how he managed to claw it back. It was going underneath the bar, and he just got a tip on it over the bar. So obviously, it was in my head from then that look, I was so close then, I'm going to do it again. And when the ball kind of ricocheted in the middle and dropped to me, I had nothing else on. So I just hit it. Do you know? But with Graham's one, he kind of it, he got a little bit of, bit, of, bit of luck in the middle of the park. Um, and then he saw, probably saw Danny Lafferty coming in from the side of him. And he just said, yeah. He has the ability. Look, there's no doubt about it. And it's a, a wonder goal. But it's nowhere near as good as mine. Come on now. that. I'll, I'll, um, we'll, we'll toss a coin. That's fair, isn't it? Uh, Dundalk and Pats 1-1. Sam Bone uh, scoring for Pats and then Junior with that late equaliser. Um, Shamrock Rovers coming from behind to beat Longford. Dylan Grimes. Longford played well. Um, Dylan Grimes from the penalty spot. Then uh, Graham Burke on the mark again. Uh, an equalising penalty. And Sean Gannon, 93 minutes. I'm just thinking for Shamrock Rovers now. That's, you know, late goals against Pats. Uh, late goal against Sligo Rovers. Now a late goal against... Longford, we're only five weeks in, and already three times this season they've scored right at the death. Would that worry you though, Con? That they're no, I, I would take that as a positive. I, I think um, that's a sign of um, a team who keep playing until the final whistle. Maybe in terms of fitness levels and stuff, it's a positive. No, it, absolutely. But it, would it worry you that it's happened so like so often in, in the in the first couple of games that you've had to do that like fair enough if, if it was like once 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 every eight or nine games that you score late in the late in the day to rescue a point or to to get three points should you not be out of sight by by that time against against a promoted team put it to you there Con. Uh, they they probably should although i thought longford played well you know i, I think dara has them playing some good football um Tactically, i think it wasn't excellent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought they really played the game superbly. Um, I think um, Rovers will play better this season and maybe not get three points. Um, but uh, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, the the next week is going to be interesting with the midweek game and then the, the game at the weekend when we talk about fitness levels and depth of squad and stuff. Um, and, as, you know, the other team at the top, Sligo Rovers, still going well. Johnny Kenny, you know, there's been so much talk about him. I'm sure when you watch him now, what is he doing? Is leaving cert seventeen years of age? You, the, is there a little tiny hint of jealousy? Thinking, oh Jesus, I wish I was seventeen or eighteen again. A tiny hint, Conor. Jesus. <laughs> um, yeah, like, and that's probably what I think about now at the, at the moment. Like, I look at play, young players coming through, and I'm like, oh my god, I just wish I was that player again. Now, having said that, Conor, I'm probably very lucky that with the career that I had, that if I went back to seventeen, yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be near, I wouldn't have got as close to what I did achieve. But um, yeah, it's. Um, but what a fantastic story! Like as I said, he started started the first couple of games, and he was put on the bench the other night, and comes on and scores the winner. Like you know, it's um, his first competitive goal, and it's just absolutely fantastic for him um, to be able to do that in in you could call it a derby game, and um, yeah, slots the slots the winner and and just never gave it never gave up with the, with the chance blocking the keeper down and, and putting in that's exactly down. what I was thinking you know not everybody would have had the presence of mind to spot that the keeper was dilly dallying a tiny bit and he closed him down so quickly and um, you know I thought that was great awareness and, and you know again another really big first defeat for Finn Harps this season so again they're proving that they're not going to be a pushover in any game at all but uh, three teams unbeaten at the top Shamrock Rovers St. Pat's and uh, Sligo Rovers with Harps just a point behind them so I know we're only five weeks in but uh, already uh, it's looking interesting in the Premier Division. We'll um, look ahead to those games a bit later on. In the First Division, just briefly, Athlone, top of the table, two goals from Curtis Byrne. The fact that Curtis Byrne 
is playing with Athlone again. It just bears out what you've been saying over the last few weeks, that there's players who've gone to Athlone who want to kind of re-establish themselves in a way. And a player like him with his experience, two goals, and then they win 2-1 at Bray. Uh, Hattrick for Colin Whelan as UCD beat Cabo 4-1. Um, Shells going well, 3-1 winners at Turner's Cross. Um, Cove 2-1 winners away to Wexford and Galway United with a Wilson Waweru 90th minute equaliser against Treaty United. So at loan, two points clear at the top and um, four games in, going really well. Going really well. Um, like that's two away wins over Cork and Bray, who a lot of people would have suspected would have been at the higher end of the, uh, higher end of the table. Um, so a magnificent win. And Curtis Byrne has gone in there, in there now and he's captain of the side. And um, led by example, two goals away from home, coming de- coming from a goal down. Dylan Barnett scored an absolute worldy um, for Bray. But um, two quick fire goals in the opening, like uh, three goals in the first 15 minutes, and that loan um, held on for a 2 1 victory. And it was a magnificent victory, it really is. Um, three wins and a draw from their opening four games. Their only draw was a, um, over at the UCD Bowl, where they drew two all at UCD, which was a, look, looking like a great result considering UCD now are second in the table. Flying and scoring goals for fun as well. Just before we leave, and very briefly, um, before we leave the first division, what's your thoughts on the Cabin Teeley versus Galway uh, United situation with Galway getting the three points um, because the game was called off Cabo with a, a COVID situation? Yeah. No, he wasn't happy. I know a lot of people weren't happy. Um, but I feel for Cabo Con, you know, because like, it's it's something that you, you, can't, you can't stop. Like, COVID doesn't stop anybody for anybody like as we saw with the with the funeral yesterday you know it, it, it in terms of the, the the attendance like it just doesn't it doesn't stop and um it's it's unfortunate the way it happens and it could happen the the day before a game the day of a game and um yeah i just i don't know if if it should be a, ca- a case where um a club that is doing everything in terms of protocols and uh, restrictions and and doing everything like that where um a case comes into the club on the day of a game and then the the opposition team gets three points. I don't, that doesn't sit right with me either, being totally honest. Um, what do you think? I'd have a certain sympathy for Galway, given that they travelled to the ground oh, yeah, 100%. very last minute, you know. But yeah. uh, maybe maybe there should be a an orange light and a red light situation that if it happened a second time or something, maybe then the, the points might be awarded. I, I think... Yeah, yeah or, if there, or if there was a delay in, in, in contacting the HSC or if they were trying to hide it or if there was something yeah. like that, well, then definitely. But um, I think, as I said, Cabinteely went by all the protocols and, yeah, perhaps then Cabinteely have to pay for Galway's uh, travel expenses on the day and maybe that could be yeah. something that's... In, something instead like of, that. Instead of yeah. losing points, like, it's just... It's, yeah, it's just yeah. it does impact on the other clubs as well. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, um, of course it does. Listen, we'll talk about the women's national league and the uh, upcoming games in the Premier and the First Division uh, later on. But we've uh, Joey O'Brien coming to join us now, and uh, let's have this chat with Joey. Joey, great to have you with us on a Sunday morning. And uh, Shamrock Rovers sitting on top of the table, well, joint top, I suppose, with two other teams on eleven points. But things going. Pretty well. From your own point of view, obviously you've missed the last few weeks through injury. What's the story and, and how are you? Oh yeah, like the first game of the season against uh, Pats just picked up with a calf strain, you know, so and I'm nearly there now, so hopefully uh, have a shout at getting involved on Tuesday. Yeah, the games are coming thick and fast now and, and actually having a deep squad. We were just talking earlier on about how important that's going to be with the, all these games coming. So you, you reckon you might even be back that soon? Yeah. Yeah, so I was looking at I was looking at four week injury sort of thing around that stage now. So it's all gone according to plan. So hopefully I can uh, get involved. But as you said, we have a fantastic squad, you know, and uh, 
you see the players that have come in start to even when we haven't been there and other players missed out and even the managers out the rest players and stuff like that you know it's uh, yeah really really strong now how have you found it looking on with the with the side with the results this season so far Joey yeah I mean listen it was uh it was one of them things. I think when the fixtures came out, the first four games, you really uh, like looked at them and earmarked them for a high return of points. I suppose uh, looking at their squads and where they were going to be, I suppose you were probably looking at um, probably Sligo, Dundalk, Pats. They were always going to be there or thereabouts, you know, in the European sort of places. So there was a big, huge start for us in the four games. And I think after them four games, like we had eight points. So we would have been fairly happy, I think, with eight out of 12, you know, and then um, looking on to kick on them for the rest of the the rest of the fourth round of games. I was, um, I've been kind of praising the signing of uh, Chris McCann this season. He's he's come in. He's done really well. Done everything right. Reminded me of Stephen McPhail actually when he came back to the club as a player. How has he? Uh, how has he settled in? In your opinion? Yeah, quality player. You know, we've obviously known Chris from uh, years ago, uh, over in England and stuff like that. So I knew what sort of um, ability he had and how he was going to improve us. You know, and uh, he's really come in, settled in really well. I think he's a. He's a great lad, you know, to come into the uh, environment and um, he's got on really well with all the lads. And then um, his football has been great. I think uh, the President's Cup game was a, was a great start for him, really, you know, because uh, in a lot of the pre-season games um, beforehand, um, like, I mean, playing a lot of the Division 1 teams and stuff like that wouldn't be uh, the standard of the of the Premier um, Division. So to get a game against Dundalk and that's sort of, I suppose you could say, a friendly encounter, but... I wasn't, you know, and I think that was a, he was able to go out and impress and put his stamp on how he plays, you know, and I think playing Dundalk was obviously a top team as well. It was a, it was a good start from the city to show him what it was going to be about, like the league. Joey, um, we were just talking earlier on about the fact that Rovers have scored late goals now against Pats, against Sligo, and obviously, as we saw this weekend against Longford, and I was of the opinion that that was... That showed great character in the team and it showed maybe fitness levels. Or Conan was, I, I know I'm paraphrasing you here, Conan, but you you were saying that is it something to be worried about that that you're relying on these late goals for for equalisers and winners? Yeah, I mean, listen, Conan, it's not ideal, you know. Like, obviously, uh, in the Pats game, we had chances, a lot of chances beforehand, you know, before, to be fair, the Pats only had one chance really in the game and obviously then an OG, but... Um, yeah, it's not ideal. Like it's a scenario where you want to be uh, taking their chances, like and winning games, like and obviously, um, I mean, I think we have sort of a phrase in our dressing room, you know, uh, clean sheets win leagues, like you know, and uh, from that point of view as well, like you're conceding goals, you know, which makes you have to dig out a goal here and there. It's not real, um, it's not very good. So it's from both ends of the pitch, really. I think we have to sharpen up on obviously taking our chances, and then as well at the back line, like getting clean sheets, you know, because last season we got a lot of them, and as I said, I think. League winning teams, um, the team that wins the league most of the times, the lobbies have the most clean sheets. You know how important is 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 a backline? You obviously mentioned their clean leagues and like with the likes of Pico, obviously with his form over the last number of years, getting a call up for the Cape Verde. Alamanis show no no signs of fading in terms of when he's going going on in the years. How how is it playing defence with Rovers? Yeah, look, I always feel like on that like um to be a successful team, like um it's built always on backlines, you know, um from whatever level you're at, you know, I think it's always like um a goalkeeper and then obviously clean sheets, as I said, and you get that you build from that that base, you know, and you have that structure in your team that starts from the back, like and uh, I think over the last couple of years we've been really good at that, you know, and uh, obviously the managers change formations and stuff like that, but 
the philosophy doesn't really change, you know, it's going out and being hard to beat and having that desire to defend. And I always say to the lads, like, you know, the boys at the top end of the pitch will always get the, the fame and the acclaim because of when getting goals and people want to score goals and all that. But it's the stuff that you do on the other side, you know, the dirty work that no one really sees, the, the tackles, the headers, the last the last minute blocks, the, even yesterday, you know. I mean, it was 2-1, but they had a little half a chance, you know, and at the last minute, the lads were throwing themselves in the line to make sure that we got the win in the end, you know, and that's what it's about, digging out them results when um, it's not really matter, but no one's probably going to remember Gary O'Neill's block, you know, at 2-1. Gonna Common wouldn't know anything like, about know. that dirty work that you're talking about there, Joey. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, listen, <laughs> that's the other side of it, so that's why I made in a career, so I probably look at it, <laughs> uh, put too much emphasis on that side of it. By the way, he got very excited when he found out that your dad was a Pats fan. How did that happen? <laughs> yeah, my dad's from Inchicore, like, you know, so, uh, yeah, he was from Inchicore, and we obviously grew up in Crumlin, so... Uh, yeah, we would have went over the games, but that was a Pats man, like, so he would have brought us the games. And, uh, yeah, we would have went to Pats games with him as well, you know. And then, obviously, as we got older and that, and friends and cousins, I suppose, you start getting your own little sort of goes for it. And then, obviously, we're always running up the road and friends and cousins were there, so we start going to the end games, you know. But would have been fixtures that would have went with, you know, and over the years when uh, he has passed away now, but when I would have came back home from um, from England on, um, like, the summer breaks and stuff like that, you know. With the, the way the season runs over here with the summer uh, season, we would have went over to watch games with you know. Is that why you decided just to do a two-footed challenge in your first uh, first game at Richmond Park, Joey? <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, I didn't think it was a red card. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know. Hey, to be fair, I've been sent off twice and it's been both against Pat, so... Um, <laughs> You've uh, obviously had an amazing career. You were talking there, Joey, about coming back during the summer when you were on a break from uh, the season over in, in England. And when you reflect back, I mean, you know, you played with Bolton at a time when Bolton were, I know now they're, they're kind of down a bit, but they were flying it uh, when you were there. They were in the Premier Division. Sam Allardyce was in charge. And, and again, like playing with West Ham in the Championship first and then in the Premier Division as well. You, When you reflect back on your career, you've had a bloody good career. Yeah, no, I had to go cracker, you know, like, obviously, at that ball in time, it was fantastic, I suppose, when you go over at 15, 16, to, um, your aim is obviously to play for the first team, you know, and uh, it's obviously a real difficult thing, but throughout that experience, like, coming through the age groups and progressing, and then, um, I went down along to Sheffield Wednesday when I was, like, um, 18, I just made me um, cup that, like, my first team debut for Bolton, and then went straight out on loan to Sheffield Wednesday, and I mean, I think that was a, a huge had a huge impact on me like and um the career then that I was able to go on the half sort of thing and um, that was a massive part for me at that age like playing first team competitive games in a huge at a huge football club as well you know and then at the time Bolton were flying and um, like obviously we had two campaigns in uh, the Europa League you know and uh, yeah they were like I suppose when you look up when you look and see where they are now like you know it's a uh, fantastic they were fantastic times which probably the club will never see again really you know how difficult joey was it to move over to england we hear lots of stories of of homesickness and um, people coming back because they just can't deal with deal with the pressures of life over in england how did you find it yeah look it's it is tough you know going over at 15 16 like but it's something i always dreamed of you know and i suppose most footballers dream of that opportunity like and you to go over there when i went over at that age like yeah it was hard being away from your man and dad and friends and whatnot but like the the aim 
and the dream was to play football, you know, and it was always going to be difficult. But I never, never thought about coming back or never felt real like, uh, I don't know, that homesickness. So I was just loving it, you know. I just loved being over there, getting coached, playing against your same age group of lads up and down at the, the other teams, like when you're playing in the Northwest against United, Liverpool, Everton, all this sort of thing. You're challenging yourself every week, you know, as a 16, 17-year-old. And then <clears throat> to progress that, um, you soon then start, you know, realizing like, yeah, you know, you're improving here, like, and you have a chance, you know. And um, as I said, I never, I remember the academy director tell tell the lads up at um, up at Rovers there now, and I'm helping the boys up there at coaching you now. One of my first meetings with my academy director, he uh, he had us all sat in the room, like, and he was like, I think there was about 14 of us, and he, he turned around and said, lads, listen, there's no point in there. Uh, wasting time around like this. This was one of the first days and I only was like, there's no point wasting much time here. And he says, like the reality of it is there's probably gonna be two years left in this room at night then. And now and as soon as he said that I was just like, yeah, well, it'll be fucking me. Do you know? And and that was it like, you know, and obviously then through that then there was yeah the homesickness and the loneliness and stuff like that, but that never, never we wanted to be there. And obviously you just progressed and luckily enough, as I said, yeah, I was able to impressed the first team manager who gave me an opportunity to play in the uh, League Cup and then obviously got out on loan. I suppose going out on loan was a massive team because obviously I was playing and you're open to a, a wider audience, you know, and other teams are looking and are seeing you playing senior men's football. It's like you start building a reputation then, you know. And was it like the, uh, playing under uh, Sam Allardyce? Sorry, Colin. Yeah, for me, it was fantastic at the start, you know. Like, uh, I would have really demanding as a manager but as a young player coming through it was great like gave me an opportunity to play um, when I was young obviously then even the loan deal sort of sent me out um, on loan and then like came back had me around the first team and played me like and I mean I started playing for the first team at that time I was after my loan deal and then breaking into the first team at the club I was playing centre midfield and through that centre midfield in the, the next year then we were in the Europe uh in the Europa League and then I was getting a, a game time sort of in the Europa League and stuff like that and being on the bench in the first thing and it's just like he actually then from a point of starting me as a centre mid flipped and started playing me right full you know and then I suppose from that that change from him to playing me there led to me then playing in that position then for, for the majority of the season and probably the majority of my career you know and so he's had a huge influence on your career yeah, like obviously, yeah, you know, what I mean, from a point of view like that, yeah, I suppose in that situation of football, like he has so much, um, that person at the top has a decision to make really regarding your, your, your future as a player at that football club, you know. And luckily for me, he felt that oh, he was able, oh, he had something in my game that um, impressed him and that he wanted me around as force team. So, um, yeah, he had a huge impact at the start and then. I had a nightmare with knee injuries um, at the end, back end of Bolton. Like, so I went two and a half years without playing a game. And again, a relationship that I had with Sam obviously uh, fell into place, really. You know, he'd taken over at West Ham. Um, I, I was coming off a serious period without kicking a ball. Um, and yeah, he threw me a ball, I guess, and I ran after it again. <laughs> That's right. You didn't have it easy, Joey. Five operations, knee operations before you turned 25. How was your mental mentality through all that? 
Yeah, it was very difficult. Like the first one, I suppose I had a real like didn't really think much of it. I look, I look back now as well, Colin. I think I was a bit lucky. Like you know, I was able to go out and establish myself as a first-team player. I, I played in the Premier League. I'd played in your, I'd had European experience. I'd played international football before I was twenty-one. So all this sort of like 20, 21. So by this stage, I'd sort of luckily for me, I'd had maybe a little bit of credit in the bank, you know. But then, so my knee packed in on me. Um, after that, but that was like I had to have a couple of operations on my on my right knee, and then, um, but I think then I was still at the football club, and what I had done previously had sort of whatever, you know, it made people probably believe, oh, this fella can get back to that level again. Um, and I was able to, but it didn't last long because we're in the space of a year. My other knee had packed into me, you know, and then, uh, yeah, it went. That one was a real serious. Um, yeah, it was a real serious injury. Like, obviously, I went two and a half years. I had three knee operations. I went two and a half years without playing a competitive game, you know. And then, um, yeah, after that, like, I suppose there was serious doubts along that way that people thought, oh, I never got back. Well, man, I, I always felt that I was always going to get back, you know. It just the stuff, the work I'd done. Obviously, I'd broken down and needed another operation. But again, I've dedicated to it, you know. I dedicated everything in my life, like, to, to get back to the level that I was at. And the level I was at was Premier League football. And even when I went to West Ham and Sam offered me the opportunity to go down there and train, we were in the championship, you know. And, you know, I remember in uh, the first league game of the championship, we were playing uh, Cardiff. And at this stage, he had known the story, you know, of the injuries and stuff like this and whatever. And I was like, um, he says, oh, Jay, I remember in the dressing room before the game, he was like, oh, it's fucking great to be back. Like, and I says, nah. I says, I'm not back yet. Be this time next year, we're in the Premier League. You know, and that was my mentality all along, like, and done rehab, went to the best surgeons, went to the best guys in rehab and around the world sort of thing. And, yeah, it was just, that was it. That took over, you know, from playing football, looking at Saturday to Saturday and here we are playing against and the detail of that and getting ready for the game and looking at strengths and weaknesses of players and oppositions and stuff like that. It, it flipped, you know, and it was strengths, like, here we go, strengths and weaknesses of rehab. Where's the best rehab to go? How am I going to get there? Where am I going to go? You know, and like, I mean, I look back now and think, I basically rehabbed the knee injury like before all Zoom and all these sort of things was through mobile phone footage, you know, and I had a guy over in uh, Vermont, Bill Knowles, world-renowned sort of rehab guy, like world-class, like, you know, I'd worked with Hugo Woods, Alex Rodriguez, these sort of guys, you know, and Bill sort of, I went and just walked with him. You know, and flew out there, did two weeks there, rehab with him. He gave me a program, go back to Bolton, rehab it, send footage to him. He'd correct it over, over phones, over phone footage. I'd fly back out there and not too. It was just, you know, that was, that was how I got back, really, you know. Just thinking, uh, Joey, you know, uh, two and a half years without a competitive game. You're going through all this uh, work to get back to fitness, the traveling back and forward to America for the uh, treatment. I presume, by the way, the club would have paid for all that, would they? Because I, I presume your man, if he's working with Tiger Woods, doesn't come cheap. Yeah, no, yeah, the club were. But can't to be honest, around that sort of time, I'd, uh, so I was coming off probably this first, second knee, knee injury. And I'd, um, yeah, it's actually how it works out is a friend of mine. I was figuring out with these people and I was like, excuse me, I need to get out of the football club to do this rehab. Like, you know, I hadn't worked, no real uh, 
nothing down to the actual physios at the football club or anything like that. It was just the environment in there and I was just wearing down, you know what I mean? So it was just like, where do you go? And it was funny, I was recommended this guy. Um, I was actually reading a book and um, it was a rugby player and he recommended this fellow, this guy, um, I think it was Richard Hill or something, this one of those English lads, I think. And he actually went over to him, Bill, because he wanted to get on the lines toward, it was towards the end of his career. And his, his name just stuck in my head, really, you know. And um, then from that, I went into the surgery and I met Andy Williams, who was a surgeon, fantastic fellow, you know. And I was just speaking to him and I asked him about what we have guys. And he he said Bill as well. Like, so that was really, that, that was it. Like, and I was just like, listen, I'm going to Bill. And it was down to the club. If the club didn't weren't going to pay, I was going to pay, you know. So it was it was what it was. Like, the club are great for me, you know. Um, and they did, and they covered all the bills and obviously stuff like that, you know. So it was fantastic. But at that stage, like, it was nothing about that, you know. I was going. This was it. Like, I, it was that sort of moment. Jeez, yeah, I need to go to this fella. And that was it. Like, you know, if I hadn't have went to that fella, I, just, I don't know whether I would have got back, you know. What did you do away from the training pitch, I suppose, during this time? Because obviously, I don't know if you are a golfer, but obviously on your, with your knees, you couldn't go and play golf or anything like that. So what could you do with yourself? Uh, not a lot, to be honest, not a lot. And yeah, I look back and I probably think, geez, I should have done something, you know, really should have. And actually, remember Gary Mexon at the time, who again was a great fellow, like, you know, and I had great time for Gary. And actually, again, after I, uh, when I got fit at Bolton, he was actually taking over Sheffield Wednesday again. And I went down to Gary after all the knee injuries to play as well. And I remember at the time he actually asked me to go out and do a bit of scouting for him. And um, he was like, you go out, do a few games. It might take it. And I was like, I thought about it, maybe for a split second, and I was just like, nah. Because, and I tell you, I look back now and I probably regret it, but at that time I was like, nah, I'm not. Because again, I was just, I had that mindset of, if I start thinking about the end, you know, it'll just, it'll just flip it maybe a little bit. And I'll start thinking towards, other things away from the game and uh, yeah I didn't want that you know I wanted to dedicate everything that I had to the main focus of getting back playing and I just felt looking look back now probably wrongly but um, that if I'd done that like that, that it would just prove it was a distraction you know and I was just, I'd be just leaving it out there that oh yeah he's going a little bit uh, he's going a little bit soft in all of this, um, Joey, as well, I know um, your faith is something that's quite important to you. Uh, and I wonder, you know, for anybody who's going through what you went through, two and a half years of not playing a competitive match, was that an element that gave you a, a, a sort of a bit of support, if you like? Oh, 100%. Kind of, I think I spoke with this before, like at the time, yeah, massively, you know, it's a massive part of my life, like, you know, was when I went over, was when I, was, I suppose it was successful or whatever way you want to call it, you know, but it was... I knew it was always going to be in my life. It's still in my life now. And, and football is not going to be. You know, obviously, I love football. and I'm, I've been doing it for 20 years professionally. And hopefully, I can still stay in the game, like, up until... Uh, even when I finish playing. Like, but... Like, my faith will be with me until, you know, they take me out in a box, like, you know. And uh, and that's how I always looked at it. And even if I hadn't got back, I, uh, I felt that, um, yeah, my faith would, would help me through that sort of thing, you know. And... It helped me through definitely the, the bad times and, and the through the injury and stuff like that. But it was also like a comfort that we sort of knew that. Um yeah, if if this doesn't happen, like if this doesn't get back, man, I'll be all right, you know. Funny you should bring up faith there, Con, because I have to say, just when I'm listening to Joey there, I was um I have my faith. Obviously, I'm a I'm a primary school teacher and I teach religion most days. But um 
even when Sporting Fingal ceased to exist a couple of years ago, I was finding finding it very difficult, and I actually went back to my faith. Um, not that I left it too much, but I went in a little bit further, and um, on my daughter was only born, so um, I decided to go to, to go to go to mass every day. So um, I was with Shelburne then, so they trained in the evening time, so I was able to do that, and um, yeah, the two of us would would, uh, would go to mass every day. She was she was in the buggy, and um, it was just a time of great reflection um more so than than anything else obviously i'd have my faith but i felt it was a great kind of comfort to just be in an environment where you have yourself and your thoughts and um yeah i've 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 still do find it a, a great comfort and um and yeah it's just so refreshing i suppose to hear joe you talk about it like that like you wouldn't think that um like a footballer international played in england would openly talk about that so um yeah it's great it's, to, it's, it's, it's interesting as well as as you say conan because um for example in america i think you see a lot of it with the american footballers and the baseball players and so on not so much on this side of the water um you do see you know some players from spain and stuff when they cross the line onto the pitch they'll cross themselves and stuff but it, it's not something that would be particularly prevalent i would i would imagine no, my own experience, like I mean, okay, it's uh, it's a it's a personal personal thing. Like I suppose from my point of view, I'd always gone to mass and stuff like that with my family and stuff like that. So when I went over to England, I just continued on. It was just a natural thing. Suddenly, where's the local church, you know? And to to an extent that, like obviously in football and travelling and stuff like that, would always find a church, you know? And um, yeah, it was. Uh, it's always been something that I've done, like even on games, away games and stuff like that, you know, I'd always find the church and uh, go in into the back of the church. Like, I just think, you know, there's been a few moments. I remember playing Newcastle and I was in a West Ham tracksuit, you know, and I had to, I found the church on a Sunday morning and uh, the priest seen me in the West Ham uh, tracksuit, like obviously before the game, he was looking at me a little bit thinking, are you going out a bleeding head, you know? But I just had a little chat with him and told him the situation. So, Later on, then the mass up in the altar, he was cracking a few jokes about, you know, and it was it was uh, it was a bit of, a bit of fun, like you know. Were your prayers answered? Did you win the match? You did actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Should have went back to the church and rubbed it in. <laughs> I'm just thinking, Joey. I mean, down through the years over there, you must have played against some great players in the Premier League, like the the likes of a you know Burkamp or Henri. You played against Ibrahimovic when you were playing with Ireland against Sweden. I mean, who were the best strikers you came up against? Yeah, I suppose like at that time, like I would have grown up. It's like I suppose as a kid, like I grown up, yeah, looking at matches today, you're looking at these players. So then, then players that we foreshot that came up against at the start were, would have been players that only a couple of years earlier you're watching in your house, you know what I mean? Which I which I would all like watching um match of the day. So them sort of players would have been, I suppose, um yeah, like. Looks at Alan Shearer, I suppose. I would have loved Alan Shearer, sort of thing. So playing against him and Dennis Bergkamp, you know, them sort of Thierry Henry, that sort of um, players, like they were, they were like top draws. Both then once you get into it, like, and you're over there a few years, and um, yeah, it's just it is the job, like you know, you're coming up against these guys, you start, um, it's about stopping them, like you know, and uh, trying to impose yourself on them, like you know. But yeah, there's brilliant players, like you know, for them. Um, yeah, some of them were like, I suppose then later on, like obviously, like Ronaldo and that, you know, that United team, like when I was over there, it was like, 
that front trail like Ronaldo, Rooney, Tevez, like that was top draw, like you know. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, it had a handful on them days, you know. Your injuries kind of hampered your international caps. Um, but in the time that you were in the Ireland, you were wearing the Ireland shirt. How, how was it? How was that for you? Like, I, I sense that you're a very proud Irishman. Oh yeah, without doubt. Kind of like look at the the game against um, the game against Sweden. Like my debut game, Lansdowne Road. Like you know, it's a game I'll never forget. Like I'm still doing. Like other games, if I was in Premier League and stuff like that, like you forget them. Like you know, even like other games, even some of the international ones. Like you know, I probably wouldn't even remember. Like squads I was in with the Orlean teams, you know, because I was in so many squads and stuff like that. But like that night, like that Orlean game, that debut game was like, yeah, a game that like I'll live for live with me forever, you know, like obviously um it was a fantastic night, you know, and um it was just yeah, it was great, like, you know, and there was there was a, like I didn't play much like but I had a couple that was a great night, I suppose I remember playing when we played Germany in a game Crow Park. It was a, a game full house Crow Park playing. I would have grew up watching Going to the games with my dad, my dad was a gar man, you know, and like we would have went to matches in Crow Parks, seeing the Gaelic and the Horn, like and stuff. And then to be however many years later playing, um, I think it was a World Cup qualifier against Germany, and there, like you know, in the full house was yeah, special night as well. What was the difference playing in both in Crow Park and, and Lansdowne? Well, I guess from Lansdowne, I, I was going into a in a room that maybe like I remember for the 2000. Two uh, World Cup qualifiers. I was over there selling programs with uh, Stella Maris at the time, you know. So, I mean, that was that time where so that was them feelings going in and watching them games. I suppose the old lands down low, yeah, it was just a special ground as well, wasn't it? It was like as a kid, like you have them memories of going in, like in the dark nights and just, yeah, with in a crowd, like with your only point, you're looking at, looking at matches and stuff like that, you know. In Lansdowne, would have been that. Whereas, as I said, Crow Park, I suppose it's just the whole thing of playing in Crow Park, the stadium that it is like, obviously, and playing a playing a football match in, in the Gaelic round, I suppose, was, uh, yeah, it was great, you know. Do you know what I'd be interested to get your view on, Joey? I have a bit of a bee in my bonnet about the Irish uh, team before the games because usually about two or three of the players sing the national anthem, the others just yeah. stand there stony-faced. And you watch the opposition, and every team we play, every single player belts out the national anthem and there's, there's a great passion there. I feel we're kind of flat before a game with the players almost disinterested looking. Now, maybe I'm totally wrong. I don't know. But I'd be interested to get your opinion. I think, like, to be honest, Con, we would say, like, well, I haven't actually spoke a lot about it to a lot of lads at that time, but I'm sure a lot of them wouldn't know it. And that's not, like, you know... I How hard is it to learn, though? Yeah, no, 100%. You know, and it's something that I think you should be. I remember actually years and years ago reading a book about uh Quiron. I think it was in Mickey one of, something about Mickey Hart, actually the daughter that passed away, on Michaela. She I think uh one of the things that she done in that Tyrone dress room was um I think make sure they all learned and make sure they all knew the, the national anthem, you know. And I was reading that and I thought, Oh, something fantastic, like you know, to be to do that. And as you said, it's probably something I think like, yeah, it's something that, as you said, when you watch it and you see it yourself, it does feel that with that bit of pride. I think, like, even young Gavin there, that was there, uh, young Gavin there, that when he made his debut, the same, like, you know, singing it out, like, and, and, and belting it out, you know, it was great to see. Have you an opinion on it, Conan? I know, like, I, I agree with Joey. I think a lot of a lot of the people just don't know it. Um, I always refer that then to Kevin Kilban, who um, obviously was born in England, but 
sang his heart out um, when he came to Ireland. Now, probably the words weren't always <laughs> correct when he was singing, but at least it showed a bit of passion. And I think, like, even with the, the likes of, um, I don't want to name names, but some of the players that were born in Ireland that would that should know the, the anthem um, aren't singing it. It just, yeah, I, I just, if I was there, I'd be belting it out. And I'm sure most people would be, but you've just got to accept, um, accept they could be in a in their own little world. They could be focusing on the game in hand. They could be focusing on the job that they have to do on the pitch. Um, so I think it's 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 dependent on the player. Yeah, yeah, it's it's something maybe to have a look at uh, going forward though, because I just I just think it gives the other team like a a, a, milli- a tiny bit of a percentage of uh, a boost. You've all, you've always said at, that though, oh, it just it, it really drives me crazy. Um, but anyway, maybe that's a, it's not the most important thing in the world. Just in terms of your own um, situation, Joey, you made reference there earlier on to coaching the young lads at uh, Shamrock Rovers. How much are you enjoying that? Are, are you working still working with um, Ronan Finn? Uh, yeah, well, gone, like, I think Ronan, um, yeah, he's taking a little bit of a backward step this season, I think, but uh, yeah, no, I'm still up there, like, and we're going in seven games, and look, it's obviously got the green light there now to, uh, to get back involved at the end of the month, so really looking forward to that, to getting in with the group, um, obviously, um, so I'll be in there coaching, Tony Cousins will be involved, obviously, so really looking forward to working on the Tony as well, and I was just trying to help the lads, you know, it's something that we've started doing since I've come back, and um, started taking the the qualifications, the badges, just starting on my A license now, you know, and yeah, it's a it's a thing I'm really passionate about, Con, you know, and um, trying to help the kids and trying to prepare them. And look, I just feel I've been like blessed, you know, and been lucky to have a career in the game. And like, um, I'd, like I'm sure the lads up there, like our age now, are seven names, like it's you're getting to that bit serious level. Like, well, you'd like to think you are, and hopefully, um, yeah, one or two of them might be able to, um, I can have some sort of impact on one or two of them, you know, to, to try to get a career out of. Obviously, at 35 years of age, obviously you're going, you're, you're looking at it from longevity point of view going into coaching possibly when you're finishing I remember you saying earlier on in this interview about not wanting to get sidetracked from your playing career um, what would you say to young lads like I see see a lot of young players even in their 20s starting their coaching badges and I'd be the one to say what are you doing like just focus on your football there's plenty of time for your to do your coaching later on um, what's your opinion on that? Yeah like I feel kind of like I'm going back to that that um, that stage that I was speaking about the time when I was injured and all that in England, maybe I had a different view of it over there because I was um I was like in that environment over there. I feel like in the League of Ireland that I think lads really need to be um looking at other types of education and stuff like that because the reality of it is that you're not um yeah you're not gonna probably go on and have a career that took and like be able to retire over here like in the League of Ireland so I think you, they need to be you need to be looking at other things you know and the education stuff or a job along or doing college courses or stuff like that along definitely like you know it's it's a, it's a must over here I think um, but at certain ages I think you know as, as you're saying like I think a lot of the lads in their league probably would have great aspirations of getting over to England and with that in mind like <laughs> You have to focus on that and dedicate yourself to that. And if that's like in your time of your early twenties, and that's the best thing for you, that's fair enough. Like you know, but I think then as you get in maybe into your late twenties and probably like that move to England isn't probably going to happen. You know, or to the level you'd like to think it would. Like you definitely need to be thinking what's going, what's coming down the road. Like you know. 
just I'm just finally I just meant to say this ask you this question earlier on you went the other way so you start, started in England um your professional career in England and came to Ireland whereas a lot of people do it the other way go from yeah. Ireland and, and go to England I was listening to Jack Bourne on a, on a recent podcast saying that when he did that too he did what you did came from England and, and started playing in Ireland the change in the mindset he he needed to kick up the arse basically and you were the person that gave it to him what did you say to him? Yeah, look, <laughs> I was at obviously a different age and Jack coming back, you know what I mean? I was coming back, uh, my wife and kids, I knew in my career, I had a really good crack with it over there and, and stuff like that, you know, and I was coming back and I was, I really wanted to be, to play at Shamrock Rovers now and finish up at this football club. I think with Jack, at the time he came back, he was young, obviously he's still a young kid, like, you know, and he was very young, but... um. I think there was a thing of over in England and he's, he had a little thing about him, maybe like that. He felt he was a, it was a stepping stone um, to get back to bigger things. And in that way, he wasn't probably <clears throat> buying into the whole, the whole group and what we were there. And I, I just sort of had a, had a word with him, you know, that, listen, this is it now. This is where you're at. You're at here for a reason. Whether you want to be here or you don't want to be here, this is it. And there's lads here I've dedicated their lives to to League of Ireland football and they take us as serious as way more serious than what you might have been taking your, your career over there. So don't come over here now and and uh, and take the piss and think that you're better than them, like you know. And it was just that sort of that sort of thing. And to be fair to Jack, he took a well and um yeah, and obviously then he went on to um which I don't really think had any effect on what I had said to him, but he was able to go on there and uh, just sort of probably it just gave him a little bit of a check to say, geez, yeah, all right, fair enough. Like I was obviously a lot older player, so I was probably had the authority to, to say it to him, you know. And um, yeah, he was a superb player for us for a couple of years that he was here. Brilliant. As you know, though, like some players are, some players can stink or swim over a conversation like that, especially young players at the moment. Um, so obviously Jack went on and uh, listened to you and did extremely well and is doing well even now. No, he's doing yeah, 100%. Like, look, at you had to obviously you could see the talent, like, you know, and that was never in question. Like, but like, I think he knew, you know, he, he'd got to an age where he'd been around the clubs, like, you know, he went to City as a kid and all that, but like, that was in the past, you know, just, you can, and he went to and he bounced around a lot of clubs at such a young age, like, there was a reason for it, you know, it's not all just, it can't be just down to the, down to managers, you know, when you have that many, you have that in such a short time, sort of thing. And I think, he came back and he found an environment that he really loved, you know, like back home in Dublin, around his family, around his friends, the manager and the staff at the football club. And then obviously the lads, you know, he had a lot in common with the the lads in their dressing room and around the same age and stuff like that. So you know, I think he really, really enjoyed it. And then obviously that you could see that obviously in uh, in his in his in his performances for the club. It probably says something about the atmosphere of Shamrock Rovers at the moment that you get people like Graham Burke now saying as well that he doesn't want to go back to England even if offers come in. He's happy at Shamrock Rovers. He's winning trophies and stuff. And I suppose from your point of view, um, all depends what offer comes in. Uh, for you, Joey, I mean, you had a great career, there's no doubt about it, but coming back to play for Rovers and winning a league in, in 2020, winning the Cup the year before and on front of the fans at a, the Aviva that uh, amazing day in November, it, it's a lovely kind of icing on the cake in terms of your playing career, isn't it? Yeah, it was, like, it's been, it's been good, like, you know, but, like, look at, 
it's not over yet, you know, and there's more still to win. And I still mm. want to keep on playing. Look, but as you said, that day at the cup final day was a fantastic day, you know. It, um, yeah, I've had some real good days over the years, like, you know, but that day is right up there, you know, and like, and if not the best, probably one of the best, like, you know, I had my kids, which they wouldn't ever, they, they hadn't seen any of my football before then, really. So that day with them out on the pitch, and um, yeah, look at looking back on it in years to come, and the picture of holding the kids, like, you know, it's, yeah, it means a hell of a lot to me, you know, and all my family were there, friends were there, obviously being in, being in, uh, in Dublin, a lot of my always fans, but just even that game, like, I must have had a personal connection to maybe, I don't know, over a hundred people, a couple of hundred people at that game, do you know, and, uh, I mean, all the games I would have had in England, you might have only had, uh, the max, you might have had a dozen people at a game, you know what I mean, so, uh, it definitely, it was definitely a great, like, great day, and that connect with the fans and friends and family was 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 fantastic. And what's it like working under Stephen Bradley um, as a manager? Obviously, you, you, with Big Sam and Gary Megson, they, these would have been characters that probably would have been referred to in the as old school type managers. What's uh, what's Stephen Bradley been like? Yeah, brilliant. You know, he's done a great job. Like, obviously, when I came into the football club. Um, like the team is nowhere near the team where it is now, you know. It's uh, it, I suppose that was part of maybe it wouldn't say the start of the rebuild when I came into it, but shortly been in the job, I think, a little while. But yeah, like torn up with a player since my first year, you know, still like he had a vision and he had a, a view of how he wanted the team to play and what style and what formation we wanted to do. And he gradually had to do it, you know, and like obviously it takes time. Um, and I guess over the last year and a half or whatever, two years, the benefits of that has have really come to the fore, you know, we've, I think, winning the cup and then going on and winning the league and stuff like that and um, hopefully we can do well this year again and do well in Europe, you know, and I think that's that's a challenge for the group, you know, I think we got a good taste of Europe over the last couple of years, like we had a, a few great games like in, in it for the club and I think that's where, that's where, um, with the draw coming up in the summer, like that's, that's something that we definitely be looking at, like to try, try kick on it. Great to have that to look forward to ahead uh, during the summer. Hopefully the fans will be back by then. Just one last question before we let you go, Joey. Um, speaking of the fans and the fact that the, the games have been played behind closed doors recently, everybody can hear the shouting that you do. I, ne- I never realised you shout a lot on the pitch. <laughs> unbelievable. But uh, for, for a player like playing in front of the empty stands, it must be a bit of a drag, is it? Oh, 100%. Look, you know, it's, it is hard. Look, you know, it's, it's the best thing, like, you know, I, over my career, I'd look back in games, the games, and you remember, like, you know, sometimes you remember, like, the atmosphere, you know, more than that, sometimes, you know, in, in certain games, and it's the feel of the buzz of before the game and after the game and stuff like that, and Jordan with the fans and all that, and it's great, like, you know, and as you said, like, that cup final, I mean, it's, like, the one, the win, the one we did in the fans, like, you know, was, like, unreal like you know that if you had a like one without any fans like definitely wouldn't have the same feel you know what I mean or that same emotion involved in it like and, and that's the thing like and that's why you play you know and that's why um, that's what you want to be playing for you want to impress and you want to make this give the fans enjoyment and and get them excited and you know what I mean give them something to talk about and I suppose football to a lot of people is really important and especially in this country I think because it's such a small industry but even more so, you know, it's it's so the people that are that have a love for the clubs, like it's they're really, really, really passionate about it. So in 
in that sense when they're at the game, you know, they're probably living for a week to week, like, you know, it's what they talk about, it's what they're thinking about and work and stuff like that. And that's what I've always felt as a player, you know, to give them that bit of passion on the weekend. And to, um, and that's what I think I suppose in a way that I would um, sort of say to the players, you know, when they're placed, like, you know, that's what it's about. Like, you know, it's you're playing for you're playing for more than just yourselves, like, you know what I mean? You're playing for people like that, like the, the fans that absolutely love it, like, you know, and it's the biggest part in their lives. And I think about the club, like, we're, that's what a great thing about Sean Rovers is, I have to say, with the management and the management and the staff and stuff like that. You know, it was a great connection with the with the fans. Like, I mean, obviously, fans have passed away, you know, over the, during the pandemic and stuff like that. But the way the club have touched on that and have gone to funerals when possible and, sent notes to the family and stuff like that. You know, it was a real, real nice touch that, that you met, that you realised that you're doing it for bigger than yourself, like, you know. Well, hopefully those fans will be back in the stadiums uh, pretty soon because uh, it would make such a big difference, especially with the European games coming up and stuff um, during the summer. So we'll keep the fingers crossed. Listen, Joey, it's been great chatting with you um, and hopefully we'll see you back on the pitch very, very soon. If not, Actually, probably in the next couple of days and uh, yeah. all the best with it. Thanks a million for giving us so much of your time this no morning. No problem. Really appreciate it. No problem. Thanks, Thanks a million, Joey. Joey. Thank you. So it'll be interesting then to see if Joey does play uh, Shamrock Rovers away. Of course, we were saying earlier on the midweek series of matches this week. Um, Shamrock Rovers away to Drogheda. Pats at home to Waterford. Longford take on Finn Harps. Derry against Dundalk. And Bohemians against Sligo are the midweek matches, Conan. And then next weekend, Harps against Pats. Uh, Shamrock Rovers against Bowes is the live game on RTE on Friday evening. And on Saturday, the Louth Derby, Dundalk against Drada, uh, Waterford against Longford, and Sligo against Derry in the Northwest uh, Derby there next Saturday evening as well. So, busy time ahead. Yes, absolutely. And just on that, Con, I know Drogheda are playing Rovers. I just like to, I suppose, on behalf of ourselves, we'd like to pass on our condolences to Tim Clancy and his family on the passing of his mother, Peggy. Um, oh. She died yesterday, so a, a really tough time for, for Tim and his family. Oh, yes, absolutely. Condolences uh, to, to Tim. And it'll be hard for him to focus then on, on a match against Shamrock Rovers. That's probably, in a way, the furthest thing from his mind and, and at the same time a distraction. Yeah, absolutely. And, and sometimes... Football is a distraction, isn't it? And um, it can be used as a, as a good distraction. So, um, and it's it's going to be a tough game, obviously against Shamrock Rovers, the champions. Um, Drogheda have done really well. Got a good point up in up in Derry. Probably probably would be happy to, if they to get the three points up there after taking the lead. Um, James Brown again. He's been involved in a lot of goals this season. Had a, a fantastic game at Rifle. Um, and yeah, he's got he's doing really really well in the Premier Division. Um, yeah, I thought that was a very good game up at the Brandywell the other night I really enjoyed it yeah it was excellent it was great to see young Boyce getting his first goal as well only 18 years of age like we're talking about Johnny Kenny at Sligo at 17 Boyce mm. only 18 it's only his second start and his, his, his goal from, um, as well it was great great header and um, yeah so that's going to be a, it's going to be a tough game on, on Tuesday for, for Tim Clancy um, Pats and Waterford are an interesting Waterford are, are on a run of um Telling you, I'd love to see their travel travel expenses for for uh, travel costs for the yeah. bus bus journeys over the last number of weeks. They've gone to Derry, Derry Bally Buffet, Bally Buffet, then obviously Dublin, which is not too bad. But then they're on the way up to Longford then next week as well. So, yeah. um, a lot of traveling there for um very early on in the season. Um, but yeah, standout game probably would be uh, Bowes Sligo. Can being totally honest, Bowes are on the back of two one nil wins, um, two clean sheets. Sligo themselves are on a great run, top of the league. Um, great victory against Finn Harps. Probably should have been more the other night. Um, albeit Robbie McCourt made a great intervention at the very end to, to, to keep it at one all or to keep it at one nil. Um, 
So yeah, but I think pick both Sligo is probably the pick of the games on Tuesday, and then obviously Rovers Bows and pick of the games on Friday. Really, really looking forward to that first uh, Dublin derby this season. Um, obviously Rovers have had the upper hand over the last number of games. It'd be interesting to see how they how they do at Tala um, on Friday. And a critical week for Dundalk as well with everything that's going on. You know that away to Derry, who've now got the confidence of having picked up a first point, and and that won't be an easy match. And then allowed Derby is never, even though. Um, they're at home against Drada. It's it's never an easy match. So that's going to be a big week for uh, Dundalk, but probably both on and off the field. In the uh, first division, then Friday games, uh, Galway take on UCD. Galway need to start getting into the winning habit. Uh, Cabin Teeley are at home to Shells. Athlone take on Wexford, who are the only team with no points in the division so far. Treaty United, who are going well, uh, they host Cork City in. I suppose you'd call that a monster derby. And on Saturday, Cove against uh, Bray. Um, standout game there? Um, Hard to Gal- say, really. Yeah, I'd say Galway UCD. Um, Galway, as you said, they really need to start winning games, Con. Um, they were mm. nearly beaten again um, on Friday night um, against Treaty United, who have started really, really well. Um, six points already from their opening few games. And um, it's going to be a very... Um, and Galway, they haven't they haven't picked up a win at all. Now, obviously, they got the three points against Cabin TD, whether that's going to be counted or not. Um, I'm sure there's going to be a some sort of appeal, yeah. Um, but, yeah, Galway need to start winning games. UCD are on, are on flying form at the, at the moment. Colin Whelan um, on the goal-scoring trail. Um, he's going to be a top talent, Colin. Um, Athlone as well. Athlone, look, they're probably going to go clear at the top, Con. Again, they're already two points clear. Um, judging by Wexford's start to the season and, and that lone start um, yeah. they couldn't be more contrasting so um, you'd expect an that lone victory there um, so yeah they're the they're the, the, the games Cabo Shells as well would be good as well um, in around those two teams should be fighting it out at the end of the season as well up there anyway um, Shells are on the back of two wins Wexford and Cork um, and yeah it'll just uh, it'll be an interesting game at Stradbrook because Shells don't have a great record there I'm looking forward to having a look at um, UCD in the coming weeks. Um, Colin Whelan, you mentioned there, getting that hat-trick at the weekend. Um, there's always this supply of players coming through from college. And uh, he looks... I, I mean, I haven't seen him in the flesh, so I don't know what he brings. But uh, I'm looking forward to getting to see them. Absolutely. And Donald Higgins as well. He he had his first start the other night and he scored as well for, for UCD. And yeah, they're just a conveyor belt of talent that, that, that are within their ranks. Um, Sam Todd has come in from Finn Harps as well. These lads looking for looking at their education and then with their football that they can get their education behind them and then they can continue on with their football careers and we've seen that throughout with the likes of Robbie Benson Ronan Finn um, if I want to put myself in there as well so um, yeah there's a lot of players that have done that um, at UCD and um, yeah there's going to be obviously a lot more to follow um, in the Women's National League this weekend, um, Bows 3, Cork 3. There's always goals, it seems, when Cork are playing. Piemont in the match of the weekend beat Shelburne by two goals to one. My old trainer, Onyo Gorman, getting on the score sheet for Piemont there, uh, who also missed a penalty. Eleanor Ryan Doyle uh, scored, but she missed a penalty as well. Um, DLR Waves beat Galway 2-1. And there's a game later today between Treaty United and Wexford Youth. But that Piemont Shells game, I mean, they're joint top now on six points, but Piemont have a game in hand. And I know it's very early days, but a kind of a pivotal result in a way as well. Yeah, it's bragging rights, I suppose, Con for the for, yeah. um, over the for the first game against the two sides. P Mount obviously are on the back of a wonderful campaign last season, um, and then I tip shells to to pip them this this year to the league. Um, but yeah, it was great great victory. I'm sure P Mount would have been the. I think their team talk would have spoke for themselves. Like, look, we're, we're doing what we're doing. Shells coming in here trying to nearly not saying by the league but they're trying to bring in all the, the, the talented players um 
and they just they, they were brilliant. Elna Ryan Doyle again on the score sheet. Then she missed a penalty to to, to put them two 0 up, um, and they didn't shy away from that at all. Um, and as you said, your old trainer on your Gorman again um, coming up with the goods. Ultimately, reliable. With, ultimately with the winning goal, and it was a, a fantastic mm-hmm. victory for P Mountain United. You know. Um, DLR Ways obviously got their first win of the season as well. Con Katie Malone were our first goal for the club, and um, Rachel Cairns is on the golden boot charge. Another goal for her, yeah, for, another for goal for her, yeah, yeah. So she's absolutely flying. So, yeah, really interesting campaign so far in the women's national league. And um, I think the P Mountain result kind of makes it uh, even more interesting going forward. Yeah, a couple of goals for Lauren Egbalunia uh, for Cork as well in their 3-3 draw against Bose. That was an amazing match which went one way and then the other and then the other. Um, Eleanor Ryan Doyle, I think we'll have to start calling her ERD or something. It's easier to say than <laughs> Eleanor, Ryan, Eleanor Ryan Doyle is a bit of a mouthful when uh, I'm thinking from a commentator's point of view. Uh, ERD is uh, like <laughs> CB7. Um, so next week uh, then it's Bowes against Piedmont. These games on Saturday, Cork uh, take on DLR Waves, Galway against Treaty and Wexford Utes against uh, Athlone are the matches uh, next weekend. So Shells without a match uh, to play because of the uneven number of teams. By the way, just one last thing before we leave the Women's National League. I was um, looking at the FAI website there just trying to get some uh, information on some of the players that have, they're still showing the table from 2019 for the Women's National League, that needs to be updated. Yeah, I think the, yeah. there's a lot of it on, I think most of it is done through social media now, um, the Twitter yeah, and yeah. Instagram, Facebook, but yeah, absolutely. It should it's be. still, it's the, the FAI's website. It, it should be up to date, you know. Uh, although I have to say again, like Piment, for example, when the team was announced yesterday ahead of the game, the graphics that they put up on Twitter with the team announcement, Top notch, like it looked absolutely. Brilliant, you can't you, know? you, you can't shy away from the coverage that the the women's national league is getting. It's everywhere, um, and it's as you say, the clubs are starting to step up to the mark as well, um, which is which is fantastic to see. And um, yeah, it's gone from strength to strength. Yeah, looking forward to getting out again to to seeing some games in the the next few weeks as the uh, COVID situation hopefully eases. Uh, listen, that's all we've time for this week, Conan. Um, Great talking to you, as you ever. Too, Con. And, you too, Con. You too. Really enjoyed that chat with Joey as well. Um, and to everybody who's uh, tuned in, thanks a million for being with us here on LOI Arena. And we'll talk to you next week from myself and Conan. Bye for now.